Uh, and that way we can kind of line up the audio. Um, so I'll just... Hey guys, welcome back to the Arthritis Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works, where each week we take some from pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. Hello. Your name is... I hate it when you do that every fucking time, man. Uh, And this week is a bit special. It's a bit different. We have a special guest on. Hi, my name is Danielle, and I'm from Level Story Magazine. Uh, And so Level Story Magazine, for those of you who aren't aware, how how do you... What's your elevator pitch that you give to people about the magazine? Usually, uh, it's a digital magazine that seeks to understand, uh, critique, and uh, celebrate the stories told in video games. Very succinct. I would have absolutely screwed that <laughs> up. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> it's that usually you get to the last, sen- the last bit of the sentence. You're like, how do I end this? Yeah. Normally? Every now and then I describe art for artists as a podcast. And then I say the word podcast uh, and stop. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> wait. Like, That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, excellent. And the reason that we've got you on is sort of twofold, I guess. We cover stuff in a similar way, I suppose, where we kind of dive into stuff into some depth, but also we're big fans mm-hmm. of video games. And your most recent issue of the magazine, uh, issue number two, uh, covered a game that we're both big fans of that we've kind of been itching to get back into um, and we'll get into it when we sort of uh, do our round table but it's also something that, that has a bit of history for, for our company uh, and the reason for that is that you covered Firewatch in issue 2 in what I was impressed by just great depth and breadth um, really really interesting coverage on that um, for those of you who don't know Firewatch is an adventure game developed by Campo Santo and published in partnership with Panic the game was re- originally released back in February 2016 and centers on the story of Henry and his brief stint as a fire lookout in the Shoshone National Forest. Before we get into the summary, let's just do a quick roundtable. Um, what did you guys think this time and what's your kind of history and experience with this game? Uh, we'll start with you, Ben. Uh, we played this game. This was like the first game we did like a Let's Play of. It's the first game we technically made content of. Too, yeah, right? we, yeah. So like, yeah, when it came out in 2016, we were like, yeah, we got to play Firewatch. It's like up our alley. And we spent and in like one evening playing the entire game yeah we sat down with some beers we sat and down with some the beers and we played the whole game yeah um and then we recorded the whole thing and we pretty much did the exact same thing <laughs> last, last week yeah 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 we just sat down yeah. and played through the whole game again um because we were like yeah we could we could power through it we kind of we kind of rushed through the second time yeah well because um, we, we knew we had a time limit because it was yeah a work night, but, but i've you know i've always enjoyed firewatch it's it's one of those games which is like it's so relaxing mm. To a certain degree, um, <laughs> at least like the just walking around the free room is fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the story it's it's kind of different. It's sort of it came out right during that period of time when those kind of games were getting a lot of flack, which I think we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. And like this, you know, it was in a post Dear Esther world, a post Gone Home world. Yep. You know, I played those games and liked them, and everyone's like, "Oh, Firewatch is just another one of those video games." Right. And I was like, "Hell yeah." the fucking sign yeah, me like, up I I'm all about stuff. it yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> kind of a similar experience for me uh danielle what sort of what what attracted you to 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 this game and i guess yeah what's your history with it so much so that you were kind of spurred to to make a whole magazine about it honestly like i mean i was an english major in college so i read a ton of books and Represent, even though i played a yep. ton of videos <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> And I played a lot of video games too, but not nearly as much. And I was always kind of seeking a game that was a bit slower paced. And I was just kind of like, oh, I guess they just don't exist. And then I heard of Firewatch and I didn't really keep up with that much in gaming. So like, I didn't know about Gone Home or Dear Esther at the time. So Firewatch was really my first entry into that. Okay. And, and I loved it. I've played it, I think, six times now. And every time I play it, 
like good for you guys like speeding through it i can't do it <laughs> like it takes me forever to play the game usually i try to speed through and then i end up not so yeah i don't know what it is but, yeah. yeah it's definitely a game that that contends with your interest we our speeding through it was very much us being like we have a limited time frame yeah. and we set ourselves up for failure <laughs> with our schedules so it was the usual thing um i had a really weird relationship with this game coming back to it this time versus when we first played it because as you said like it was the first thing we made together um where that was like five years ago now how many years 2016 so four years three, ago, and, a three and a bit i yeah. can do math yeah. um <laughs> again i have an arts degree what do you want from me definitely coming back to it now i'm a com- not a completely different person i mean such a different spot in my life than i was when i first played it so it was interesting how differently it hit me like even that even that prologue fucking derailed me immediately <laughs> like i think i think the whole game was just me curled up in a ball on the couch next to ben being like i don't want to do any of this you spent most of the game just trying to cope with the prologue oh fuck, dude. <laughs> and every time it would come back agonizing. Just, you would just not be okay with yeah, it yeah it's yeah. agonizing man but i i think because it, it hit some emotional beats that that are maybe more salient for me now than they were back then right. um and we'll kind of get into that and then sort of some of some of my the, my opinions have changed on the game a little bit in the time since we first played it but um it's not like anything else um it, even though it is a bit like you know there's other walking simulators it clearly is trying to do something else entirely um and that that word walking simulator walking you know as, as yeah. those of you who read issue two will know maybe it's not a term that we should be using anymore but it's definitely definitely falls into that kind of catch catch your bucket and i don't know maybe 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 we need to get some better language around it so uh, i'm just gonna get through this the summary it's pretty pretty chunky so strap in Henry takes a job as a fire lookout in Wyoming after his wife develops early-onset dementia. Delilah, a lookout from another tower, contacts Henry on his first day and instructs him to investigate illegal fireworks by the lake. Henry discovers a pair of drunk teenage girls. On the way back, Henry spots a shadowy figure watching him and returns to his tower to find it ransacked. The next day, Delilah asks Henry to investigate a downed communication line. He finds it cut with a note apparently signed by the teens. He and Delilah plot to scare the girls off, but when he finds the girls' can site ransacked and abandoned, they begin to worry. A note left at the site blames Henry for wrecking their camp and stealing their belongings. Later, the teenage girls are reported missing. Fearing an inquiry, Delilah falsifies reports to say that neither she nor Henry ever encountered the girls. Henry finds an old backpack and a disposable camera belonging to a boy named Brian Goodwin, who Delilah explains was a lookout with his father, Ned. Ned was an outdoorsman who drank heavily due to his traumatic experiences in the Vietnam War, while his son Brian enjoyed fantasy novels and Dungeons and Dragons. Two or so months after his arrival, Henry discovers a radio and clipboard with transcripts of his conversations with Delilah. He is knocked out by an unseen assailant. Henry investigates, discovering a government research area with surveillance equipment and reports of his dealings with Delilah, and additional details about their personal lives likely not possibly gained just through their radio conversations. Henry heads back to his tower and someone destroys the research site. The next morning, Delilah spots someone in Henry's tower and when he returns to investigate, he discovers a recording with incriminating evidence that implicates he and Delilah in the destruction of the research site. Using equipment from the site, Henry tracks a backpack to a cave, but the exit is locked behind him. He escapes through the cave only to discover Brian's old hiding spot. He goes deeper into the cave using climbing equipment left at Brian's camp and discovers Brian's decomposed body at the bottom of the cabin. Delilah is upset by the news, blaming herself for allowing Brian to stay. The next day, an evacuation order is given for all the lookouts as the wildfire that Henry spotted and named earlier has grown out of control. As he prepares to leave, the tracking device beeps and Henry discovers a tape recording from Ned. On the tape, Ned explains that Brian died from a climbing accident. 
Ned was unwilling to return to his life and has been living in the wilderness since in a bunker. Meanwhile, Delilah confirms the teenage girls are safe and the government camp was just studying wildlife. There is no conspiracy. Delilah blames Ned for Brian's death and leaves in the helicopter and Henry goes to her tower. They say an awkward goodbye via radio and Henry takes the evacuation chopper. Credits. Ugh. <laughs> Oof. Oh, Brutal. Yeah. Every time they're ending, I'm mm. like, ish, agonizing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so there's some obvious stuff that we can cover first, which I'm sure you guys will sort of um, have some stuff to say about given it's something that, that I, I, mean, I guess it's a central point of the game. A lot, like a lot of other games have like multiple, like changeable protagonists. Obviously in Firewatch, you play as Henry. He's already a person with a history and personality and his own problems. And you just kind of get a piece of his life. Um, and one of the terms that Ben and I were grappling with was the idea of like the canonical character. We're going to call it that for clarity's sake. So you play in this game as a canonical character, not just like a, like a Skyrim type where you can like create your own character and it's your own version of the Dragonborn or whatever. Yeah, and I, th I think it's... You know, with with like the Skyrim character, canonically, it's still you're still the quote Dragonborn. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a case of you know, if, you know, Firewatch the novel could exist having the exact same story. Mm -hmm. It's just Firewatch the game has you sitting in as one of the characters, and right. I think that's like the it's it's a very fine line. You know, even games like Mass Effect, you know, you can kind of veer your character off the beaten path, mm -hmm. but you know, with this, it is very much henry's a dude there's a story that's laid out you can kind of there's like little changes you can make here and there but mm -hmm. you are quite locked in to his character and his personality definitely and you take you make choices choices within him like within the degrees of henry there's a quote i'll read in a second i think perfectly encapsulates it but i guess what's interesting to me is like it's kind of when you play as a character like that because henry is kind of this dynamic like selfish scared dude who's trying to avoid his problems it lends the game a certain tone where everything is sort of a distraction from what is actually supposed to be important. And I guess the reason it feels compelling is that the choices tend to be more discreet when there's not a canonical, like not a canonical character. So I'm just by, by way of contrast, um, Bethesda's Fallout style choices, same with Mass Effect, where it's like in a dialogue tree, you have like an evil choice, a good choice, a sarcastic choice or a neutral choice. And that's like the extent of the complexity of, of those decisions. And same thing with like Megaton, for instance, right? In Fallout 3, do you want to blow up Megaton, a town you don't really know for a rich evil dude, or do you not want to do that? Like it's, you're either a moral paragon or you're the evilest man that's ever lived. <laughs> um, I think Firewatch's choices are far less discreet and they mirror like a bit more like real life where there's no centralized morality. You just are Henry, who's kind of a, a shitty dude sometimes trying to make the best of it. So I'll read this quote from Olivia White and I'll see what you guys think. Quote, I'm so accustomed to games either offering myriad choice or no choice at all that it was momentarily jarring to be asked to dictate events within the limited degrees of Henry. Some were innocuous, such as choosing to own a big or a small dog. Others were life-changing. About halfway through the prologue, you're asked about how you respond to Henry's wife, Jules, being offered a job in a place to which you would not like to move. Both options are inherently selfish. I can either dissuade my wife from taking her dream job, or I can insist that she commutes. There was no option to behave selflessly to move with her. And this bothered me, end quote. Is that something that, because I, I, I'm knowing the magazine, Danielle, you wrote a bit about the prologue. Um, that element of choosing within Henry, is that something that, that attracts you to the game in a way that maybe other kind of story-based games doesn't? You know, it's funny. When I first played, it actually caught me off guard, to be honest, because I did think to myself, oh, wow, I, I don't want to choose either choice, but okay, I guess I'll go with that. And I think 
that's ultimately what is so appealing about the game that it does put you in this mindset of the character of Henry and sort of force you to play him versus playing a character of your own imagination. And so I think that is definitely appealing mm. and especially for a narrative game. And I'd be interested if more games could do that in the future, to be honest. Right. Because I think what it does, or at least in my experience, is it it engenders a certain empathy that mm. I think other stories don't because say say like if say you were playing this game and it was like okay well you play within the as that olivia uh, white points out brilliantly that like the limited degrees of henry whatever you're doing you have to empathize with henry's perspective and what he wants and needs so it actually empowers you to like and obviously like no one no one needs more people to empathize with straight white dudes but like it <laughs> if, if you can do that in, in in a in a closed environment and you can have people understand someone else's experience in that kind of tactile way there's something in that that's kind of that could be kind of powerful i think um if you're able to tap into that in a deeper way, I guess. Um, and I guess, like, yeah, as you said, the, neither of those choices are things you want to do because he Henry's making choices because of what he wants. You can't just be the good video game boy and be like, I'm a, I'm to take all the, the selfless options right. and have a great relationship with my wife because no one is that. <laughs> like, everyone does selfish shit all the time, right. right? There's no perfect Henry. He's just a dude who is running away from his problems. And I guess that's kind of kind of gets to what I wanted to talk about for the meat of this, which is the idea of like the gameplay and the the narrative and this weird mirror thing that's happening, um, which might be one of my reachier readings possibly, but I'm interested to see what you guys think. Um, so obviously, you know, and as we discovered this time, um, Henry's, you know, the game sets it up pretty, pretty neatly. Henry's running away from his sick wife more or less, but the game is really aware of that. So there are some choices that we made this time in our playthrough because this playthrough we kind of went like full gamer boy like we would try like yeah kind of towards the end we we really like pushed like pushed tried to like get the good you know we were like really pushing for that good <laughs> ending going down all the well i'm gonna do this one because that's the one that gets me with delilah exactly and it's like, right. nah. we, we kind of we lean into like that yeah, we let we lent mm. into it yeah and to try and see if the game pushed back at all and oh, what we discovered God. is how <laughs> scathing the game is with those decisions that you make yeah yeah delilah and you have like when you do lean into it more and try to like be in her good graces and in a way get her to stay even though that won't happen it's crazy how much information both of you reveal to each other by the end of it because i played it that way in preparation mm. for the magazine and i was so surprised i was like this yeah i don't want to play it any other way but of course i had to but i love their conversations and how much they reveal to each other and i i guess um, you know, at the start, Delilah makes the comment that people take the job as fire, uh, the fire lookouts because they have, like, some damage. Um, and she's kind of including herself in that diagnosis. For me, what's interesting is there's that midpoint in the game where um, you name the fire. Um, and I refuse to let Ben name it Delilah because I was like, <laughs> you will not do that to us. Uh, we we are not that, that, we, we're no, not that cheesy. Oh, we did that on, the first, on yeah. our first playthrough. We definitely called it Delilah. Yeah. I remember doing that. Yeah, but I, it's, it's an interesting moment where, because she's drunk, she starts to open up about how she's, like, she's... That, that's kind of the gateway for when she becomes more vulnerable mm -hmm. is that when she does first get drunk that time um and obviously in my mind at least henry's the foil for this where if if delilah's using that alcohol to kind of let herself open up a little bit to henry um henry's using the job as the fire lookout to allow himself to be like safely vulnerable because his wife isn't there he can kind of finally start to um open up to someone else in a different way it's almost like a pretend i mean it is a pretend relationship right like they're never going to get together it's never going to happen the game is pretty fucking adamant about that. But it's it, in a way, like, Henry avoids his real problems and gives himself permission to explore his vulnerability. And eventually, obviously, the game gets back to the fact that he has to then face his wife, right? right? 
But the gameplay does the same thing, I think, for the player. By not having any combat mechanics or complicated puzzles, you, you like in my mind at least, it's like a break from games in inverted commas. Like it's not really a game. Um, it's something else entirely. And there's that nice mirror where you've got these characters using uh, Delilah's, you know, using Henry and and the alcohol to kind of be vulnerable, and then Henry's using the avoidance of his wife and this new kind of quote unquote relationship. And then the the player is like also empathizing with Henry and if they do it properly and they learn the lesson the game is trying to convey, then they open up themselves and be vulnerable to feeling something. So it's, it's all kind of layered in a nice way that I think is, is part of why the game feels so neat at mm. the end. Because that was something that, that I noticed this time when, when we got to the very end of it is it, it dovetails quite nicely into its point when you sort of get to, to Delilah's Tower finally. And yeah. you do get toward that ending where it sort of everything culminates and it just lets you sit in it for like 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> well i think the the wrap-up as well so the, the sort of the progression through this story where it starts off as being kind of just like this character driven kind of discovery story with these two characters who are getting to know each other and you you sort of get like the first inklings of you know like delilah's flirting and you know henry being just like the the whitest boy around <laughs> yeah. um and you sort of get that you're like okay this is kind of where the story's going but then it just like it sweeps you up on all of the conspiracy stuff which is so well it's well written because you can't escape henry's perspective you can't be like this is all stupid and dumb mm -hmm. like the whole time we were playing i was just like that's like them talking about radios and like hacking mm -hmm. their radios and so i was like that's not how radios work right. yeah. and it's funny because the game the game does show that it knows how radios work because they show the diagram of uh, Brian Goodwin building his own radio. Damn. Like, he's built his own radio schematic. And, like, you know, his Ned's, like, scribbled over it saying, oh, this is wrong, this is bad, this is too much power. And I'm like, okay, they clearly know how radios work. Mm -hmm. But they're purposely throwing all this weird, like, gamer jargon in there where it's like, they're jamming our radios. Oh, these these radios haven't been tapped. And it's like, it's just it's just radios. It's just an open free... It's an open so radio So this whole time I'm yeah. like just getting a new radio won't fix the problem that someone's listening to your radios yeah. which it clearly doesn't because yeah. ned just switches you know he's still he switches he's still a, yeah, yeah he's still able to listen in because you're stuck within henry's perspective there's no way to be like hang on a minute like this this is all baloney right like, you, yeah it sweeps you up in it yeah so because of that it sweeps you up and you kind of the the relationship between henry and delilah changes and becomes more of this like sort of survival situation where they're both trying to just not i don't know get done by the right by the boogeyman it's like that shared trauma kind of yeah like yeah so then when you get to the end and it's like all right let's go back to like the whole thing where like we're together yeah and it's like it's like no no, no, no. <laughs> you don't want that no we're kind of we've kind of been through enough yeah, i'm good thanks man yeah it's yeah. enough relationship for me <laughs> that, that that's a balancing act i think that a lot of games struggle with Obviously, the the best tension in stories when it comes to romance is the will they won't they the minute they right. the minute they will it gets really boring really quickly <laughs> if you're not, if you're not a really you talented gotta, you gotta, writer you just got to close it off there yeah. yeah like um probably probably the one good example of when it can be done really well is when a show is aware that that putting those characters together needs to happen for a really good reason so like the best I think one of the best TV relationships is uh, in Brooklyn Nine Nine the relationship between Jake and Amy um, two of the main characters which they use to tell better stories they don't just put right. them together and go and now they're a couple they put them together and they keep leveraging that to tell funnier jokes and better stories and more engaging stories um whereas i think sometimes what can happen is the will they won't they is, is always the focus of the writing because it's the interesting tension that yeah. when they will or they won't 
you kind of don't care. Like at the end of this, if she'd been like, yeah, let's do it. You'd be like, oh, well, the game's over now. So what's the fucking point of that? <laughs> I mean, I can imagine an alternate ending where she's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's then, meet up. And then there's an epilogue. And there's an epilogue. <laughs> like, what the fuck would yeah. that look like? It'd be so weird. It wouldn't suit the game at all. Um, but then the pro- but then the- what you could do if you were, if 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 you were really going to override it is you would then have another text. You'd have a text-based epilogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About your relationship with Delilah. Yeah. And that, oh, God, you know, like, God. you could you could imagine them really overstepping and trying to facilitate that. And it, I think it would just lose such clarity of what they were going for. Well, think about it, too. Like, think about the classic uh, Ross and Rachel mm-hmm. friends. Oh, gosh. Like, yeah. I, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> and it, it carries to, I mean, not that the show was necessarily good to begin with, but at least the relationship had something in the beginning. And it just keeps going. I mean, 10 seasons enough is enough and they just carry it out so long this game actually understands what it's doing i feel like with the characters and their Mm. relationships it's it's like the uh it's like the graduate of video games yeah it's just like this whole like will they want they and then it ends and you're just like well that's not what i wanted actually it's weird (laughs) that you mentioned the graduate that came up in my research when i was looking at um some of the narrative structure of this game um because the graduate does an interesting similar like um uh, stylistic swap with its graphology where uh you start the game as like this like it like pitches you as like this one thing where it's like oh you're gonna be looking at fires and we even talked about it when we were playing it this time oh yeah where like she's like look at the table the doohickeys this is how you're gonna look for fires and you'd never use it you never use it um same with the fishing pole and stuff the fishing pole is my favorite part of the game you just never use it with a fishing pole and you're like oh we're gonna do some fishing and there's an option to put it away and if you put it away you never see it again it's It's gone forever (laughs) so like in stylistics that's like graphology where like you're switching up the structure of the text you're working with um on a line level basis and one of the things the graduate does that's really really interesting is it does that exact exact same thing in the screenplay where um, i don't know how well you guys remember the graduate but the scene where um the girlfriend works out that it was the mother the mother's the older woman um where he's sort of he's they're standing like they're standing really close i think it's like in the bedroom or something and the mother's like looking through the crack in the door yeah. and she, and it's this really tense moment where a really bad writer would have written a scene where he goes it was your mother that i was sleeping with but instead she's <laughs> right. like she's like what is it he's like i have to tell you something she's like what is it and then she um the the girl i can't it's a no, no, like I'm not gonna remember her name. I forget. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she looks, kind of makes eye contact with her mother, looks back at him, and just goes, "Oh no!" And it's this <laughs> unspoken, really clever tension where yeah. the audience suddenly knows what's happened, and it completely changes the structure of the screenplay from there. Because then it's about the fallout of that, rather than the tension building up to it was, "Will she find out? Won't she find out? Will they be together? Won't they be together?" He's so in love with this girl. What's gonna happen? And I feel like Firewatch is basically—it's basically the same script structure where it's that right up until the end point. They use the, the conspiracy theory is uh, in place of the, the 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 sleeping with the older woman. That tension of her being like, "I'll destroy you if you tell, like, if you don't break up with my daughter." All that stuff, that kind of mm-hmm. conspiracy element. Yeah. Um. But ultimately, that's not the stuff that matters. What matters is the <laughs> their relationships and the fact that he's avoiding going back to college. Like. It's that kind of yeah. same same thing. Um, so weirdly similar structure. Yeah, it just came from research. Interesting you mentioned it. Um, just a fun little little tidbit there. I guess we should talk about the ending. Oh gosh. Uh, mm. And oh, look, if if you're listening to this and you hated the ending, that's totally fine. I apologize. I'm probably gonna imply that you're an idiot at some point. So just bear that in mind. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's gonna. I apologize. I always make a an ass of myself when I say shit like this. Anger, but anger a bunch of people. Yeah. Like so that. I apologize. Don't at me. Um, don't email me. Thank you. 
Uh, if you disagree, politely send me a really like an email. If you do, do genuinely think the ending's bad, I'd love to hear why. Um, just if you could not include a death threat, that would be aces because <laughs> that did happen last time. Danielle, you have an article in the magazine, Intentional Climax. Um, I just wanted to give like a quick overview of that and then get your thoughts on the ending in general, and then we might kind of dig into mm -hmm. it. Um, so obviously you talked about the fact that the game leads the player um, to believe there's the big government conspiracy, as we've discussed. Um, and it's like this huge distraction from both them mm -hmm. doing their jobs as fire lookouts and also him dealing with his wife and Delilah bothering to mature at all. Um, and a lot of yeah. players expect Henry and Delilah to get together at the end. Um, due to the pacing and their apparent quote-unquote connection. And I'm not going to quote you. I've got a block quote here from you. I'm not going to quote you while you're here, but um, <laughs> basically, like, it's... I, I really I really like this this write-up because it completely taps into the issues that I think a lot of players have with it, whether it's that the fact that it's an anti-climax, ultimately the conspiracy amounts to nothing, the relationship amounts to nothing, the whole game was a waste of time, and you should have just gone to fucking Australia in the first place. Like, that's really the takeaway. Um and there's no gameplay climax. That's the thing that that's crazy to me, right? There's no, like, yeah. you don't get to the final boss with, like, the BFG. There's no, like, final Dark Souls encounter where it's, like, the big guy with the sword. Like, it's just... You just track, you walk you and you to the end. You find yeah. the tape, you retread, yeah. you find the tape, and then you, you go to D's tower. Like, yeah. that's it. There isn't this, like, the, the gameplay is such a smart mirror for, like, how you're feeling at that point. Because at that point, you're real bummed out. Like, we, right. I, I remember, like, I mean, I, I was in... I was howling with with emotional agony, uh, but I was like, "This fucking sucks!" Like the whole time, like this fucking sucks, man. Like this sucks. Fucking, let's just go get the tape. Let's fucking get in the helicopter. It sucks, man. Let's go to D's town. This fucking sucks, man. That was like my attitude. Like, it just fucking blows. But I think that's exactly what the game's going for. Um, so yeah, I, I guess talk to us talk to us about your experience with the ending, Danielle, because I think yeah, your article really really engaged me in kind of. I guess I really thought about the ending in that depth before. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because for this issue, I worked with uh, the games professor who does the show Games is Lit on YouTube. I don't know if you guys have seen that or, or not, um, but if not, you should definitely check it out. But he, when we were kind of planning things out, he was like, what did you think of the ending? And I honestly, I didn't even know how to answer him. I paused so long that he started saying his thoughts instead, just because I just had no idea. And when I started really thinking about it, you know, a lot of people got so mad. I see comments all the time from people saying that it's not a real game, that the ending just proves that point. Like, it doesn't give them what they wanted, meaning Henry and Delilah getting together. I found that that often is a bit misguided in terms of what the game is sort of gearing you toward. Like, And a lot of times, like, when people say it's an anticlimax, there's a fine line that you walk there because... People think an anticlimax is just an ending that mm. didn't end up the way you wanted it to. And when I was trying to do research, I was looking at anticlimax examples, and so many examples were just not really correct. And so I was trying to think, like, okay, well, it is a matter of opinion, but also, like, this game intentionally wanted to end anticlimactically. It wants you to feel that disappointment. So... In a way, yes, it is sort of leading you toward Delilah and then ending ending in an anticlimax, but then also the anticlimax is the point of the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that idea of when you look for a lot of examples of anticlimax that they're just not, they're wrong. So when when back when I was um, doing mm -hmm. my arts degree and when I was doing the um, creative professional writing, 
uh, one of the theorists that I bang on about a lot is Sean Coyne, and I can hear Aaron somewhere cringing. Um, <laughs> Sean Coyne and Steve Pressfield, who are big like structural theorists, uh, or like at least contemporary ones, um, talk about like the idea of rather than saying, oh, well, this 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 story has a climax or an anticlimax or whatever, they talk about archplot and antiplot. So archplot is the hero's journey, which most stories follow. It's the five act structure. Antiplot is a story that doesn't use that five act structure uses something else right it's uh, you know whether it be um like a stream of consciousness um or like tempest um which is like a comedy like that doesn't use that structure whatever it might be so they're more interested in saying okay well rather than saying is it a climax is it an anti-climax they're saying does it follow like the typical western five act structure and i guess what's interesting to me is when we talk about anti-climax and firewatch what we mean is exactly what you said the ending doesn't give you what you want like it, it has a climax and a crisis and a resolution like crisis clim- climax resolution structurally but it doesn't like nar- like narratively it is an anti-climax it doesn't it doesn't it builds up to to nothing like it right. builds up to that end point where there should be that big yeah. kind of oomph like you know the, the the point in macbeth where they draw swords on the battlefield and Macduff and Macduff and macbeth fight that doesn't happen there is no like final clash to to resolve these issues it's just you come out of the cave like in my mind the, the actual climax of the story is when you call delilah and you tell her that that brian's dead because um, mm-hmm. that's the point in the story where it transitions from being in that that fourth act to being in that fifth act of resolution and i guess it's weird because that that then would imply that what people are talking about is that very ending when they say anticlimax they mean when you get to d's tower right that's i think primarily what most people are referring to which in my mind is like part of the resolution rather than the climax um Mm -hmm. so it's weird like even language wise it's weird to try and talk about why that feels so disappointing because i think like most most people that play this that are just like regular gamer people who just like playing games or you know like story games probably don't have the the language tools to articulate what they mean so that's yeah. the other weird thing about it so I, that's kind of i think why a lot of the anger is hard to even pass when i'm reading through comments and stuff because when we did it last time we got a bunch of emails being like you guys are fucking idiots like <laughs> this game's terrible oh like you should oh, no. you know it was very like aggressive we get i think it's part of how i sometimes talk about people that don't get stuff and we'll get to that in my meta reading um but like it just it bums me out that I'm like, oh, these people like didn't get it, and like they, they weren't off with, like, for whatever reason, they weren't able to engage in a way that meant that they learned something from this or they engaged with it in a meaningful way. I, I think part of that comes in from the fact that if if you play this game and you come and you and you sort of throughout the story, you sort of realize what Henry is doing. You know, he's running away from his problems. You know, him and Delilah aren't really meant to be together. The you sort of get like that sort of resolution really occurs at like the actual climax when you when you find Brian Goodwin. Mm-hmm. The for me and like I'm probably going to go back and play the game again to see if this is true. But the the final sort of uh, confrontation with Delilah at the end when you're in a tower, it's almost like a test. There's a bit where you know like mm-hmm. the, the question she asks, "What are you going to do now?" Like that is like that's like that's the that's the pivotal question. It's just like, "What are you going to do now?" Like, "What have you learned?" And the three options, it's like, I'm going to go to Australia. I want you to come with me. And I think the third one's just like, I don't know. Yeah. And it's just like, one of those, one of those is correct. Like yeah. at this point, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a choose your own adventure. It's yeah. this, there's this a good is, one and a bad one. This is going to be on the test right. at the end of the semester. Yeah. And you got to, you got to pass. <laughs> and there's one correct answer. And like everyone, like even, and we leaned into it. We did the, the wrong answer, which is, was like, oh, you should come to Boulder with me. Yeah. And Del- like Delilah yeah. speaks like to the audience. She's just like that's not going to happen yeah. like 
no, you got wrong. F on the chat. She even says, Come back next she even says you don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. She, and you're just like, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, and I've got to go, like, gotta find a playthrough where someone's actually done the right thing and said, I'm going to go to Australia or I'm mm-hmm. going to go to Julia because I feel like, and again, I, gotta, I don't actually know the dialogue because mm. I haven't played it this way, but the, you know, from Delilah's response to if you say, hey, come with me to Boulder, mm-hmm. her response to you saying, yeah, I should go to Julia, she'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you should. You should. That's yeah, probably, that's what I imagine. Right. right. Like, she knows the answer. She knows what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. She's just testing you to see whether you know what you're doing. Like, not right. as Delilah, but as just sort of... The narrative, ethereal, really. ethereal, yeah, narrative yeah. god, which is just like, what have you learned? And you're like... I've learned nothing. I learned like, nothing. Wrong. <laughs> and the game's yep. like, you're an idiot. You're like, all right. Yeah. This game's bad. One, one out of five stars on Steam. Well, and, and what you said earlier about, like, gamers might not have the language to explain why they're feeling the way they're feeling, you know, I think that makes total sense, especially because most games, they don't work like Firewatch at all. And so what they're expecting isn't what they got. And so they just don't know how to grapple with it. And there's a lot of anger apparently involved because mm. people really hate this game. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's weird <laughs> yes. too. I was thinking about it when I was reading through, um, I can't think of which article it was. It might've been the, um, the, the feminism one that you read about Delilah, which by the way, that blew my fucking mm. mind. I was, I messaged Ben. I'm like, dude, you have to fucking read this. It's crazy, man. Cause like, it's just like, I never, like I haven't read anything through like a feminist lens in a while. And I was like, yo, this is fucking cool. But, like, I'd never thought about the fact that you have like, you literally don't know what she looks like. Yeah. So all of her traits, have to right. not be visual. Yeah. So I'm like, this is a game that could have theoretically taught people to value people by personality and relationships rather than like physical appearance. And I'm like, that's fucking wild right. that a video game can do that. That blew my mind. Yeah, um, yeah super right. crazy. But one of the elements of that is maybe that's why people were so angry is because it is like a, you form like an emotion, like if you get emotionally invested in Delilah, that's like a genuine emotional connection. Well, yeah, like a lot of people, they, the climax, mm-hmm. the anti-climax for them is just like, I wanted to see Delilah. And you're like, too bad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess like yeah. that, that for me, if you're talking about people that, like the kind of people that, that wrote us death threats or they got really upset by it, probably the kind of people that, that if you think about it, aren't used to engaging on that level of like emotion. Like normally they're like, I want to, like right. I like Lydia because she looks pretty or whatever. Like I'm thinking about Skyrim in particular. <laughs> like like all the back to Skyrim. you know back to Skyrim because <laughs> um, when isn't it? It's that of Dark Souls, man. You know how it is. Um, and and I guess like the the fact that they were emotionally invested might mean that's why they were so much angrier this time. Rather than just oh well, I couldn't I right. couldn't bone the the hot girl in the game. Now it's like that that meant something. So but they yeah. like you know what I mean? There's something different about it. There's a, there's an added layer of emotional connection to that character. Just kind of, maybe that's why people were so angry about it. Yeah, and the, the only characters you actually see are you, because you take a photo of yourself, and Brian and Ned. Like mm-hmm. They're the only people you actually see like right. what they actually look like. Mm-hmm. Every other character, including all the female characters in this game, they're just, they're just voices. Mm-hmm. So that they, it's kind of, it's it's pulling them away. So you, you can't physically make a choice based on like physical appearance you have to make it based on what like internal aspects of henry as a character Mm -hmm. um and you know you get a bit of dialogue from julia during that weird dream sequence but apart from that she's just this problem that you have made aware of because of the prologue and now it's like all right deal with this I guess that prompts me to wonder too, and I'll get to my meta reading in a second, um, which I've titled crazily, which we'll get to. Um, 
I guess I guess the other thing is like, is it the case? And maybe you could speak to this more, Daniel, because because again, we're we're just we're just two we're just two bunch dudes, of boys. you know, a bunch of boys over here. Um, is it with Delilah as a character? Because it's it's my in my mind at least from a from a writing perspective and stylistically. Um, going back through it this time, I noticed how interestingly selfish she is same with henry like they both have like it's kind of why they connect is they both just really want to feel good about this interaction they have with each other and, and there's there's an element to it where like i can see her closing off almost in real time in the script as he's opening up and then they kind of uh, you know they're vulnerable to each other but she's still kind of reserved in a weird way if this was a real relationship she's the kind like he's the kind of person who would be totally open and vulnerable to it at the end of this game not at the start but at the end of this game possibly right for what better or worse she's she'd still be in a place where she would start the relationship and it'd be fine but then like she might just like you know get in an uber and go home at like 2 a.m without telling him like that's the kind of like there's still that that distance between them so i wonder um i wonder thinking about this this ending and this character if if when i was picking up on it this time i felt less disappointed because i could kind of sense that it was never going to work it's hard to say because like my my reaction was so kind of clouded by by sort of still wanting to meet Delilah, even though it's not it's not where the game is going to lead and it shouldn't. So but at the same time, I definitely think that it does point to that. I mean, throughout the entire game, even when she opens up to you, there is so much about her that you don't know. And it it does make sense of with her leaving like she leaves without really telling you because you could as henry you could say please stay like please wait for me and she doesn't wait because for Mm -hmm. her she'd rather be on the reserve side she doesn't want to see him because it would hurt too much uh, to leave or whatever Mm -hmm. so i i definitely think that's an interesting reading of it and probably intended by the developers i mean they they seem to really have a good understanding of how the story would play out and how people would interpret it. So I would imagine that was definitely on their minds. It really feels like they, they tapped into something in, in that character where she's just like, I think you're totally right. It's, it's the minute that she stays behind, she's suddenly opening herself up to a world of pain. Also the good stuff too, right? That vulnerability. That's the thing about being vulnerable in, in general and in relationships is like, it comes with the good stuff, but also the bad, scary stuff too. But that's kind of the fun aspect of it. And you have to be open to that. And, by the end of this game, Henry is, right? He's ready, theoretically, to go and deal with Julia and to, to potentially, you know, start this new relationship knowing that one is is effectively right. over, right? Um, with, 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 with Jules. Um, whereas Delilah, like, hasn't changed throughout the game. She's remained static. She isn't our protagonist. She has remained the same. She doesn't really have a journey throughout this game. Um, the reason she starts to open up is because she gets drunk and then just she never stops <laughs> opening up. Um, she doesn't have this arc that Henry has. She doesn't l- grow and learn throughout the narrative. She's just kind of the same. And I wonder if when we talk about, um, you know, them not working at that end point and, and that particular reading of being like, yeah, it was never going to work. Um, there's definitely some salience in the idea that if they were going to do something else... Because they've got a new game coming out, I think. Yeah. Um, if they were going to do, yeah, a different kind of story, I don't think it could be a romance. I don't know. Like, I know there's a female character, but I think it's first person, so I don't know uh, the sex of the other character. So, but then again, it shouldn't matter. But my point being that I I can't see them doing a romance again. Let's put it that way. To try something new. 
That's the one that looks really buck wild, right? Yeah, that's the, the one with like the. F- it's like photo. It's about photography. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, I guess let's. I, I want to power through my meta reading. We've covered most of it, but I just wanted to. <laughs> I man, sometimes I'm gonna make notes. I don't know what the hell I'm thinking. <laughs> so my meta meta reading: Electric Boogaloo Two. Firewatch ends well, and you're all big man babies. So you don't want to be vulnerable. What's the title of it? <laughs> and it's weird that people get angry when we do that's these. That's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah, I wonder why, David. Um, but we've kind of we've kind of covered most of it. Like the <laughs> fact that um. People getting angry at the game for ending the way it does proves that those people haven't done the growth and the self-work that Henry has. They kind of mm. stick with the Delilah thing of like the easy option of like, I'm the same and it sucks that she didn't stay. Like that kind of thing. Whereas Henry learns that he needs to face his problems and be vulnerable to the fact that he's been kind of a shitty person. Um, and I think players who are angry about the ending have failed to learn the lesson that Henry's learned and probably means they didn't get the full emotional experience and depth of the game they probably got the full Mm -hmm. emotional experience and depth of their relationship with delilah to an extent but i don't think they like that i don't think they were picking up the warning signs throughout like there were a few little red flags for me throughout the relationship that we talked about where i was like oh delilah is this isn't gonna work like for me they're like they were the actual red flags that we have in a real Mm -hmm. relationship um and, and they're red flags that i've missed before but i'm in a position now where i recognize them and i think in not being vulnerable to the experience of the whole thing and saying, okay, well, why did this ending make me feel the way it did? Um, I think people that, that really hated it missed out on something that could have been great, which is a bit like what Henry and Delilah experienced because she's not vulnerable and he's not in a place where it's going to work and they can't work together. And it's almost this weird kind of meta dovetail of like the game proves the point that this is a complex thing to feel and experience and you have to be open and vulnerable to both the good stuff, which is that relationship and the bad stuff, which is her leaving. And you can't have it both ways. There is no quote unquote happy ending. I think the ending, the whole game really defies tropes of what games are supposed to look like. And I think that can be very challenging to people, but there's also this, this mentality that apparently is very toxic that where Gamers just think that games belong to them and no one else. And no one can have any different experience with games. Mm -hmm. And there's a much deeper conversation to be had there. Like, I don't think it's the ending of Firewatch that is making them angry. I think it's a bit deeper than that. And that's where I find I'm a little troubled by the whole thing. Because if it's a bad ending and you don't like it, we'll move on. You know? So you didn't like it. Um... And so, yeah, it's just the fact that they're so angry and, you know, death threats, it's yeah. a bit scary. Speaks uh, to a larger problem, why. maybe, with, with that. And we might touch on that in the post show because we've talked about that before to an extent, mm. um, particularly when it comes to uh, decisions that companies have been making um, for diversity and inclusivity to make sure that when people are playing games, they feel like they're represented. The way that people react to that um, is yeah is concerning um and and yeah you're right it does come back to that idea of ownership and some of that stuff that hasn't kind of worn off now that games are kind of more mainstream i guess um but we should probably wrap up um did you guys have any closing thoughts before we kind of wrap up here oh man i don't know just this, uh, this game hurts man <laughs> i like i like i like orienteering this game's a very good orienteering simulator yeah, i'm glad you played um, it because i'm yeah. bad at Spatial I enjoy that part. Yeah. Uh, the narrative is, uh, it's yeah. just the, it's something. Yeah, it's something. What about you, Daniel? Uh, I agree. It is something. Every time, like I, <laughs> the last time I played, because I think I played, I think 
three times in preparation for the magazine, which I didn't expect. I thought it would be just like one playthrough. And Mm -hmm. every single time I found I was just more and more emotionally attached. And like, I like I love the game. But as I played, like the more I played it, the more I was like, man, this is just such a good game. I, I don't think I'll ever not love this game. It's definitely a game that I've... It's one of those games I've bought multiple times on multiple platforms. Yeah. As Ben can attest. Yeah, there's a few games where I just keep buying them. And I'm like, yeah, like, I would play this on the Switch. Buying just games, but it's the same one. It's the same one. (laughs) I own Dark Souls 3 on, like, every physical media you can buy it on. You've bought Skyrim once a year since release, pretty much. Yeah. It's not important. Oh, my God. On average, one one version of Skyrim per year. Pretty much. Yeah, actually, yeah, we did the math. Yeah, we did the math. Yeah, I have Darkest Dungeon on everything you can possibly play it on. Like, there are certain games that attract me in a way that that is probably not healthy, but um, that, yeah, like, if I watch one of those games, like, because I have a deep connection with it, um, and it, it, Mm. it, it provides something for me that I can't find elsewhere in general. Um, I'm really glad that yeah. we got the opportunity to kind of replay it. Mm. Um, for our Patreons, uh, we're going to do the post show after this and we'll kind of cover some of the most, more stuff in depth uh, and also touch on some of the comments from uh, some of the people on our Discord server. Um, before we get into um, our plugs, Danielle, did you want to let people know where they can find you? Is there anything you wanted to promote, uh, point them toward? Um, yeah, I guess the best place for anybody to go who wants to learn more is lovablestory.net. And there you can find all links. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Most of the time, my handles are Level Story Mag, um, M A G. But occasionally, it could just be Level Story. But all links are on there, and you can subscribe to the magazine for free, email updates, uh, and all that fun stuff. And I look forward to the next issue, which uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, will come out at the end of August. I mean, I've recommended it three or four times throughout, but definitely check out the uh, the Firewatch issue. It's some of the pieces in that are really fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Um, um, otherwise, Ben, where can people find us? Facebook. At DCMWorks Social. YouTube. YouTube.com slash DCMWorks. Twitter? Twitter? Yeah, uh, yeah. At DCM underscore works. Patreon. Patreon.com slash DCMWorks. Uh, we've just launched our Discord server as well. Yes. Um, which, I'm not adding Discord to that list. Uh, no, enough. it's fine. I'm just going to keep saying that at the end. <laughs> um, right, cool. Which we've been kind of working on doing for ages. We didn't really have a way to facilitate it in a way mm-hmm. that we liked, but we've kind of got it running now. Um, and that Adley is kind of in charge of it all. Um, and it's the best place to go for sort of um, updates. We post what we're covering the following week, so you can leave us comments that we then address in the post show. Um, otherwise, if you want to support us directly, best way to do it is Patreon. Uh, subscriptions start at $3 a month. You get access to all kinds of behind-the-scenes content, our post show, which we're about to do. So if you want to hear that, it's the only way to hear it at the moment. Um, and, you know, an extra bit of content of us in your lives ain't a bad thing, if you ask me. Uh, and there's over maybe six, it is. Maybe ask it your is. Doctor. Yeah, ask your doctor first. Um, there is over 70 hours of behind-the-scenes content and extra recording, <laughs> so you can check all that out. Plus, you get access to like a Patreon-only chat room on Discord, which we're going to start putting early access sneak peeks and that sort of thing in. Uh, I feel like that's... Oh, also, buy my book, mainoptrick.com. <laughs> Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to be plugging it more because book two is coming out soon. Okay. Um, it was by threat of death um, from from Cameron. He was like, you need to sell more before book two. So we've got some momentum. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go buy it. So mainontrick.com. Um, if you like what we do, you'll probably like it. It's, I think, the best thing I've ever done. Um, and if you just if you fancy the ebook, which I highly recommend the, the physical printed one, it f- it's got some heft to it. Yeah. Uh, if you fancy the ebook, you can use AFA Pod at checkout, AFA Pod for 15% off the ebook if you just fancy yourself a little little online copy um otherwise i think that'll do it for this week if you want to follow us individually i'm at dc on my hip i'm at literal citrus 
uh, I guess my Twitter, personal Twitter, is this underscore is Danielle. Excellent. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.